I think Texas is headed to a spot where they just had to believe recruits, college football, and, and the public had to believe that Sark could get it done at Texas. I think that's all they needed. They needed proof that someone could get it done again at Texas. The proof is there. I think you were going into another golden era of Texas football. Hello and welcome in. It's always college football. Today is February 1st and we appreciate you coming to us wherever you came to us from. Well, that's the ESPN podcast. Well, that's just podcast platforms with Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, ESPN YouTube channel. We appreciate you very much. I'm Greg McElroy alongside as always Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster and Jake Garcia. We have a great show in store for you today. We want to kind of sum up so far and I, look, we say January winners which is great. I mean, the, the problem is it's I, I almost have a hard time remembering. All right, well, if a guy committed or transferred on December 31st, are we not going to give them credit in January? <laughs> so basically, we're taking some winners from the ACC, the SEC, and the Big Ten so far throughout the offseason, subject to change, especially as the portal opens up in May and as things start to turn. But we've had a lot of chaos in college football the last handful of weeks, whether it be Nick Saban's retirement, who benefited from that, whether it's Jim Harbaugh taking an NFL job, who benefited from that, and frankly, who are some winners as a result of some of the changes, who are some winners as a result of the portal. So to help us break it down, we're going to bring in ESPN's Matt Berry. He is the host of College Football Final. And he does a great job, obviously, throughout the studio and calling games on Thursday night for ESPN. So we're going to bring him in to help talk about some of the winners here in the first month of 2024. So let's not waste any additional time. Let's get into it. It's Matt Berry of ESPN. All right, Matt, we figured you'd be the perfect one to bring in. You cover all of college football with College Football Final. You're calling games on Thursday. You're all over the place. As it relates to the sports, I know you're watching it now as well. We figured we'd go and put together a list of winners, people that had great months. And I, I really think when you look at some of the teams that have benefited from some of the changes, it's pretty remarkable just how long the list can get. Let's talk about the SEC to start. Yeah, Knowing that Nick Saban is no longer there, can you possibly say that there is anybody in the SEC that isn't benefited from Nick Saban's retirement? No, uh, McElroy, you can't. And by the way, good being with you. love talking ball with you down here from beautiful Mobile, Alabama in the Senior Bowl um, <laughs> in the state of Alabama. I got a bunch of Roll Tides today. But no, I, I think, look, what have we said about the SEC for years and specifically some of these jobs? LSU's always been one. Texas A&M has always been one. Now what Lane Kiffin's doing at Ole Miss and even Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. What have we said about this? And obviously Kirby and Georgia speaks for itself. Everybody was waiting for the kingdom to topple. Everybody was waiting. Well, yeah, that job's good when Nick Saban's no longer there. Well, we would joke around, well, when's that going to be? Well, that reality <laughs> is now. And so the fact that that is gone, that the Nick Saban dominance of 17 years in Tuscaloosa is now gone. So were a lot of the players from last year's team that he helped build. I was talking with Sark yesterday. We were talking about Isaiah Bond, some of these guys they were able to bring in. But point being that 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 guy in Tuscaloosa that was always a roadblock for everyone, like Michael Jordan was a roadblock for everyone in the NBA and Tiger <laughs> Woods was a roadblock for everybody winning major championships, it's the same thing in the SEC. And it's gone. And so... 
It's going to be interesting to see how these schools, LSU, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, uh, George's already taken advantage of, but some of these other schools take advantage of Nick Saban no longer being there. Yeah, I think it's interesting, though. I, I want to, We'll start with Alabama because I think most people from the outside would look at it and say, Alabama's not going to be the same or Alabama's not going to be as consistent. And I, I frankly, I've kind of operated under the assumption I don't know that. I, I, I don't because if there's That's one fair. thing I know for sure, when I look at best available and all the coaches and the candidates that were aligned with the possible job opening, even prior to Nick Saban shutting it down, I look at Kalen DeBoer and that guy's been about as consistent as it comes. And two guys that were in the mix at Alabama or were you know on the wish list for Alabama or at least some fans... He's five and zero against Steve Sarkeesian and three and or five and zero against Steve Sarkeesian and uh, Dan Lanning. Three and zero against Lanning, two and zero against Sarkeesian. So I actually think Bama, given the craziness that we had there for a week span, actually kind of came out of January as a winner because things feel like they've stabilized. Am I just seeing things through crimson colored glasses or what? I'd say fifty fifty. I'd say that you know when you and I were on the back of that golf cart at the national championship. When we didn't know Nick Saban was retiring, we were sitting there thinking that Kalen DeBoer would be the guy that would swap sidelines in that game if, if and when Jim Harbaugh was going to go to the NFL. And so I know that you were very high on Kalen DeBoer, and I think a lot of people are. And so that's not – look, the end result for Alabama from when Saban left in the cycle ended up being really, really good. But the problem, Greg, that I, that I see is – Kalen DeBoer is shot like this through the head coaching ranks, right? And, <laughs> right. Washington, and Washington wasn't building that thing through high school and developing. They built the title team through the portal, which you can do nowadays. What I want to see, and what, what, take a step back for a second. What Nick Saban did better than anyone during his time in Tuscaloosa was recruit and develop. I think in his 17 years, how many of those years he did not have the number one recruiting class in the country? My point being is we haven't seen DeBoer yet stay somewhere longer than a couple of years to see how things develop holistically as a program from the bottom up. Can he go get guys to come to Alabama? Well, yeah, it's Alabama. But how much of a lock is the Crimson Tide logo and Alabama brand without Nick Saban as the CEO. And I think that's what we're going to find out. Because Alabama, before Nick Saban, as you know better than anyone, I mean, it was teetering. You know, outside from Gene Stallings, it was, it was it teetered. And he made it the most dominant brand in college football. Well, what's it going to be now? I think they hit a home run in the hire, but I'm interested to see how the foundation is laid for DeBoer after 17 years of dominance from, from one coach. And that's where I'm holding reserving judgment yet because I need to see him, not year one. I think year one's, I'm realistic. Year one, don't judge him on that. Judge him on recruiting one, recruiting two, recruiting three, and see how he maintains that excellence. Yeah, and he might very well find diamonds in the rough like they found uh, at Washington. So while... Hey, I agree. Look, there are question marks. I mean, nothing at this point. There are question marks when Sark took over at Texas. There were question marks when Norvell took over at Florida State. There were question marks when Kirby took over at Georgia. But given the pool of candidates, 
I think Bama hit a home run like you referenced, so I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. Let's move over to the team that might benefit more than anybody else. That's the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, given the fact that they've been, I mean, Bama during the greatest run in Georgia history is 2-1 and one against the Bulldogs, which is still kind of mind-blowing and still tough to wrap your head around. Georgia, of course, has won two national championships in the last three years. But when you look at just how things have kind of gone on, they got Traveris Robinson uh, from Alabama. They've obviously been able to get in the ear of a couple of recruits. They did miss on Caleb Downs, but still they were in the mix. So uh, how much of a benefit to Georgia is Nick Saban's retirement? I don't, I think it's a moot point because I think Georgia had proven they'd, they'd slayed that giant. I mean, they won back-to-back national championships, and they're an SEC championship away, you could argue. I still think Georgia was one of the four best teams in the country last year going into the playoff. I mean, they had one loss, and it was to Alabama. And so I think Georgia got over that hurdle a few years ago. Now, having said that, you know, having not to face Alabama in the SEC championship as a Nick Saban coach team is probably going to make Kirby Smart sleep a little bit better at night. But I've, I've said, and look, we're in a new era in college football where you keep forgetting divisions are going away. But right. I still believe that the teams that are benefiting are in what you know we've referred to as the SEC West. Because I think Georgia's answered that. But is, has Florida been in any recruiting battles recently with Alabama? Does that now skew to Florida? We know LSU has. You think, I think Brian Kelly is, is licking his chops. I think Mike Elko, <laughs> who we think is a great coach who got into the job at the right time. They hired Jimbo to take out Nick Saban. Couldn't be done. Saban's gone on his own accord. Mike Elko walks into that thing. Imagine imagine Texas A&M, Greg, with their talent and using their talent properly, what that could do in a Nick Saban-less era. And so I, th- I think Georgia's, Georgia's Georgia. I still think they're one of the top three to four teams annually, and I think that was going to be the case whether Saban was there or not. A couple of teams that kind of jumped out to me. You referenced LSU. I think the hire of Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator from Missouri, massive. That makes them a winner. Uh, I think you look at some of the other teams in the SEC. I mean, Mizzou, fresh off an 11-2 and year. Yes, they lose their D coordinator to LSU, but they've done a great job in the portal, gone out and gotten Marcus Carroll and Nate Noel to fill the void of Cody Schrader at running back. You go out and you get a top 100 recruited tackle in Caden Green from Oklahoma, so they've done a great job. I look at Kentucky. Kentucky's been very active in the portal with Chip Trainum from Ohio State and Jamori wow. Macklin from North Texas. I mean, they've done a great – I mean, getting Tennessee's starting right tackle, Gerald Mincy, wow, uh, as well, and then a starting linebacker in Jamin Dumas-Johnson. Like, they, like I think Kentucky's knocked it out of the park. But it'd be hard for me to look at the SEC right now and not think that the biggest winner in January are the Texas Longhorns. And, oh. and hear me when I say this. I, maybe others, I think the Nick Saban departure is big for them naturally, but they went out and as a result of the Nick Saban hire, they get Isaiah Bond uh, at wide receiver. They get Amari Nyblack at uh, tight end. They've now gone out and gotten three other receivers in Matthew Golden and Silas Bolden from Houston and from uh, Oregon State, respectively. Hey, couldn't you look and we fast forward the biggest beneficiary and maybe the biggest winner in the SEC as a whole here in January, the Texas Longhorns. Are you on the same page or do you see it differently? Oh, no, 100%. Sark's eyes lit up 
when I when we were talking about Silas Bolden yesterday here in Mobile and, and what kind of player he can be for that offense and just kind of finding a way to move him around. Think about Isaiah Bond. This is no knock on Jalen Milrow, but what Milrow does well isn't what Quinn Ewers is going to do well for a, a receiver like Isaiah Bond. And so I think Texas, here's where I think Texas is headed, McElroy. I think Texas is headed to a spot where they just had to believe, recruits, college football, and, and the public had to believe that Sark could get it done at Texas. I think that's all they needed. They needed proof that someone could get it done again at Texas. The proof is there. I think you were going into another golden era of Texas football. I don't know that you'll see, like you did with Mac Brown, double-digit 10-win seasons. That was an era that may never come back. But I firmly believe right. now that, that people understand that Sark can get it done. I think you're going to enter a window of dominance for the Texas Longhorns. He's proved it in the portal. They're loaded again. Quinn Ewers coming back is the smartest thing he could have done to play one more year of college football. There's some guys out here at the Senior Bowl that have played a lot of football, but are they ready? I don't know. So I, I think if I was ranking SEC teams going into next year, you, Georgia sets the standard as they always do, but you need to legitimately talk about Texas 2, 3, and 4 and do it convincingly. I'm not sure anybody would push back on that. I think Texas is in a great spot. Moving out to the Big Ten right now. I, I, look, Jim Harbaugh shuts it down. Is Michigan a winner? Yes. Like <laughs> People are trying yeah. to suggest, well, Michigan has already lost the offseason. They lost Jim Harbaugh, their defensive coordinator, a couple, player, a couple people on the staff. It's like, really? Like, <laughs> like Last I checked, the championship was awarded just a couple weeks ago. I feel like they're still a winner. Uh, maybe that's a d dramatic um, or maybe too optimistic approach. So, we already know that Michigan's a winner. They did what they came to do. They got their head yeah. coach. They've had very little turnover in the portal because they kept the continuity with Sharon Moore. So I think they're a winner. That's established. But Ohio State, to see what they've done in the portal with Quinshawn Judkins, with Will Howard, with uh, bringing back Travion, bringing back a bunch of other quality pieces. Mecca is back. Talking other people into staying. Burke as well. Like I mean, it's amazing to me. They're so loaded. And, Maddie, I don't know if there's a team in college football – that has position-by-position position quality like Ohio State has going into next year. Now, offensive line, still a, still a question mark, still a bit of a concern. I'm not going to try to you know, gloss over and put lipstick on a pig. They're going to have to really do a good job of developing talent along the offensive line of scrimmage. But, man, they got star power all over the place. So it feels like they have had probably the best January so far, and I don't know how anyone could, could spin it any other way. Yeah, you, you forgot Julian saying. I mean, that quarterback room, they're not going to keep all those guys. I mean, they're loaded at quarterback. But here's, here's where Ryan Day was the biggest winner in January. And, and maybe, I hate using the term loser because it just sounds so derogatory. But <laughs> there, it's one thing losing three in a row to Michigan and, and Jim Harbaugh, right? Eventual national champion. It, it, that's, that's one thing. Now, with Harbaugh out of the picture, Harbaugh taking some of his staff. I know Sharon Moore was the interim this year. I get all of that. But now, if you're Ryan Day, you spent a lot of money this offseason. You got a lot of good football players, and you got rid of your biggest headache. So now, you take your victories in the offseason, 
And I know they were an 11-1 and one team, which is so funny. We talk like this with, with Ohio State. That's just the way of the world there. That one win matters for everything. And now yeah. you bring in Oregon, you bring in Washington, you bring in USC, you bring in UCLA, you're bringing in a different caliber of football. I think Ohio State, as they always do, they'll open up as a top five team, maybe number one, maybe number two, and they're going to have to win that one game. That's it. And it's like the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL. Wake me come postseason. Well, with Ohio State, wake me up come Michigan. <laughs> and that's all it's going to come down to for, to your point. I think you could argue overall, Ohio State may have been the biggest winner in January with everything they put together, including Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan. Yeah, it'd be hard to push back on that. The addition to Caleb Downs sent shockwaves all over the entire oh. sport. At safety. I mean, it further proves that, look, Ohio State's got crazy deep pockets. We know that. That's established. But the level of urgency and and being able to go out and attract guys right now, knowing, hey, man, there's blood in the water with Michigan's turnover. I mean, I, I feel like I've always felt like Ryan Day gets a bad rap. I think he's a really good football coach. Agreed. Really good football coach. Just ran into a bit of a buzzsaw the last couple of years with the teams that kind of found their recipe against them. And they've, adjust, they've adjusted and adapted, and they're much better on defense now. And that's only reinforced with the guys they retained and the guys they added in the portal. So I'm very excited about them. Another team that I think won in the Big Ten, it still takes me a little while to think about this, but Oregon. Because not only did they stave off... Look, they've had two coaches leave yep. in the last handful of years with Willie yep. Taggart taking Florida State and Mario Cristobal taking Miami. They have now locked down Dan Lanning. And he didn't even listen, didn't even listen because his buyout was prohibitive and this additional agreements that he had with Oregon and Nike were impossible. They've locked down a potentially generational coach for the foreseeable future because if Texas A&M can't afford him, can't even afford to get to the table, you know that he's not going anywhere. Bama can't either. So... I think locking down, you bring in Dylan Gabriel, locking down Dan Lanning, that's a win for Oregon for the foreseeable future as they kind of navigate what is a changing terrain as they move to the Big Ten. Yeah, I refuse to call them a Big Ten team. I'm not going to do that till we kick <laughs> off Labor Day weekend and they actually are in the Big Ten, but I, I know what you're getting at. And here's, here's how Dan Lanning, I believe, looks at this. What doesn't he have that he needs? What doesn't he have in Oregon that he needs? He's got everything he wants, okay? He's got everything he wants, and he got a really, really good job for a first-time head coach. And so I think there's some semblance of loyalty there, which we don't see with coaches a lot when they're job hopping. But I think there is a semblance, some like loyalty that says, hey, man, I was a coordinator, and I got a job at Oregon. And I'm winning big at Oregon. And I've got money at Oregon. And I'm going to one of the power two in the Big Ten at Oregon. I can get any recruit I want. My family loves it here. So you know what? I'm just going to beat the hell out of people here at Oregon and see what happens. Now, ultimately, end of the day, we can't foresee the future two, three, four years from now. But you made a good – if A&M couldn't get him and Alabama couldn't get him, who's going to get him? And so he's a young guy – who fits Oregon perfectly and that Oregon likes to be cool and they like to have the swagger. They're tucked up there in Eugene. You can't even get there. You got to fly into Portland and then drive. And it's a mess to get there. But somehow he's found a way 
to maintain the swagger that Mario brought with his recruiting. And I look, you look at the Big Ten next year, God, I hate saying this, but Ohio State, <laughs> Oregon is going to be right there. Um, I don't know if USC has the chest to go play up in the cold and some of those physical teams up there. It'll be interesting to see what Lincoln does for, for, a, for an encore from what was a disappointing season. And so I'm with you. Dan Lanning, to me, you go Ryan Day one in the Big Ten, and you go Dan Lanning number two, and I don't even think it's close. Yeah, it'd be hard to push back on that right now. I do think Lincoln, though, and I would actually, as, as controversial as this may sound, I know you as a diehard, uh, you know, sparky sun devil, uh, going to have a hard time seeing the benefits to what's gone down at SC. I get this. I think they've won January. Like, I maybe I'm crazy, all right? Maybe I'm just... Yeah, you'll I need to sell it, on this one. Let me try, all right? Let me at least try. I'm not saying I'm going to. I'm not saying I'm going to succeed, but I'm going to try. Here's what I like so much about what's gone down. He identified an issue with Alex Grinch defensively. Now, are they going to alter practice? Are they going to change how they approach spring ball? Are they going to have more physicality in practice? I can't tell you those things. I don't know. Uh, but I do know this. I think he's gotten it right with some of the hires he's made defensively. You go and get Danton Lynn, who did a great job, great job at UCLA right down the road in establishing a physical, physical culture that's really aggressive defensively. Uh, and then to add to his staff, he goes and gets a sitting head coach in Matt Entz from North Dakota State. We've already right. seen what happened at North Dakota State Disciples at Wyoming with Bull. We've seen what happened with Kleiman, yep. obviously, at Kansas State. We've seen what happened at, uh, at Northwestern with what happened there last year. I mean, this North Dakota State's got a pretty sweet coaching tree right now. Well, hey, you know, we'll take the head coach, North Dakota State. We'll make him our linebacker coach. That's massive. You go and get a big-time, big-time, well-respected defensive line coach, an area that has been a headache for SC for a while, defensive line and second-level defense, and they go and get a guy from the NFL and, and Eric Henderson, who is the co-defensive coordinator now, and he did an amazing job coaching Aaron Donald and guys with the Rams the last handful of years. Like, he has major bona fides. You also get Doug Belk, who was the defensive coordinator at Houston, who was an up-and-coming riser from the Nick Saban coaching tree. He's coaching the secondary. And you had Jaden Mayava at quarterback. Thought he was going to Georgia. Well, yeah. he had a great year at UNLV last year. He's now in the running to maybe be your guy, even though it does feel like the quarterback position based on the bowl game performance is in good hands. So maybe I'm crazy, and I understand this, but it felt like rock bottom for SC there at the end of the regular season. They had a good bowl performance, and now they've fortified their defensive staffs. So I'm feeling like the arrow's pointing up for the Trojans. Am I crazy? So from a staff perspective, you nailed it. He did everything that he had to do to wash away the Alex Grinch era. And they're, they're, that you can't debate. What we didn't talk about during this USC discussion, do they have the players to execute the new defensive mindset? I've talked to several Pac-12 coaches over the years and recently that doesn't believe or didn't believe that USC had any interest in hitting you or they didn't like getting hit or they weren't physical like the Pete Carroll days of USC. What's California known for in recruiting? Quarterbacks, receivers, 
and running backs. That's what they're known for. There are coaches within the country that believe the California player is much different than the Texas player, than the Big Ten player, than the SEC player, which is to say physical with speed. And so has Lincoln found a way to bring in the type of attitude player that he's going to need to succeed with that new defense and to play in the Big Ten. Because I just don't know that the California high school player is gets beyond the seven-on-seven seven now. It, a lot of quarterbacks, the quarterbacks are legendary. The receivers, legendary. The running backs, five stars everywhere. Find me a D lineman. Find me a guy up front. Find me a linebacker. Find me the guys that used to come. Find me a Palomalu. A Will, like the guys that used to just beat the hell out of you at USC. Where are they? So I don't know that, look, staff's, you, you nailed it. Staff's fine. Players. Has that changed? We're going to find out. A buddy of mine always said, it's not very fun to be 320 on the beach. Uh, so maybe that's, that's, maybe like, that's a thing. <laughs> I've talked to a couple of uh, high school coaches out there. And they're like, man, this is, it's different. It's different out here. You always yeah. hear about our quarterbacks. You always hear about our quarterbacks. You always hear about our receivers. You always, where, where's my, like, where's the Dallas Turners, right? Where's the Will Anderson Jr.? Where are these, these dudes? Can he get out of California and get them? I mean, it's USC, it's a brand, and they have money. So if they can, then yeah, USC can be back on top. But if you can't win with what you had coming back last year, then you're going to have to convince me that Mayava and those guys are better than Caleb Williams and everybody they just trotted out a year ago. I'm not sure I could do that. <laughs> I do think they are better on defense. <laughs> At least schematically. I'm, I'm optimistic that they'll be schematically better. Uh, before we move to the ACC, is there anyone else that you would kind of qualify as a winner? Um, in, in the Big Ten? The, I guess, I know you want to call it the Pac-12 uh, departures, but it's let's call it the Big Ten. That's that's what the grown-ups are calling it nowadays, right? <laughs> maybe maybe James Franklin at Penn State for the same reason of Jim Harbaugh being out of there. You know, I say this yeah. about Penn State every, I say this about Penn State every year, man. They they'll they'll win those ten games, but they lose the two they can't. And so I don't right. know if that'll change with the new teams, but oh, you know what? Indiana. I think Indiana made a really, really good hire. <laughs> I think yeah. Kurt Signetti's really. I think that's a good hire for them. So Signetti goes in there. Look, I'll, I'll give them a win for hiring the right coach, and we'll see what he can do with it in a very competitive league. I can get on board with that. No, no roses thrown out at Iowa for the Tim Lester hiring on OC. Come on, man. I'm, I'm, I, I will. Re, I will not talk about Iowa until they get over seventeen <laughs> points a game. I just won't do it. Reserve judgment. That's fair. Reserve judgment. I have no problem with that. I do think there's three big winners in the ACC right now. Ooh. I still think Clemson is the team to beat in the ACC next year. I know that's a controversial thing, especially given what Florida State's done recent years. I do think there's so much turnover on Florida State. I love Marvin Jones in the addition, uh, knowing that he's going to plug and play in, in favor of, of Jared Verse, who's off to the NFL. Uh, I think DJ Uyungle is a good player. I, I don't know exactly how his offensive – I mean, Norvell's amazing. I think the offense is going to look a little bit more Memphis than it has Florida State the last couple of years with Jordan Travis at the helm. I think you're going to see a little bit more pitch and catch, a little bit more RPO throwing it, as opposed to a guy that can extend plays. I think it's a good fit. And I also think, too, 
even though Mike Norvell was never offered the Bama job, I do think the similar to the landing scenario, I do think the perception of him being committed long-term, eight-year, $80 million deal to Florida State was massive, especially knowing the upheaval that Florida right. State could potentially go into with the ACC and the grant of rights and the fight that's going on. They have their coach locked down, so that's one less thing to worry about. So I think it's been a good month for Florida State, albeit the most recent performance is disappointing. I think enough people have just said, that doesn't matter. This program's still on stable footing, and I feel good about them moving forward. Are we up on the Knolls? Yeah, look, I think it was, it was I applaud Florida State for a number of reasons. And one of them was not panicking early in the Mike Norvell tenure. Yeah. You know, they, they let it breathe. They, they let him have a chance to build that thing. And now I don't think it's going down. And I think I've said this forever. Once Florida state awakens, they're not going to go to sleep again for a long time. And I think it's where we are with the Seminoles. I do combat the Clemson thing. I don't think that they're the team to beat. I think mm. they're still going to be, one of the best teams in the league, but I'm going to tell you this. And I've, I've gone, I've said this for two years now in year three, I think that it has to be this way, but Mario Cristobal (laughs) has Miami in a spot where now talent for talent, they can hang with anybody in the league and maybe anybody in the country, maybe outside of Georgia here and there. But I think the S- the ACC now, welcome back Miami, welcome back Florida State. Did anyone do a better job coaching last year that no one talked about than Dave Thorne? So now Clemson's got to contend with them. North Carolina post-Drake May, eh, we'll see. But Virginia Tech is another team that I think <laughs> is with, with, with drones at quarterback and Brent Pry finally getting some stable footing. I guess what I'm trying to say, Greg, is that this league for so long was Clemson and everybody else has fallen in line. The AC championship was almost unwatchable a lot of the time because Clemson was so dominant. But now that NC State's up, Virginia Tech's up, Miami's up, Florida State's up, NC State just continues to win 9-10 games, it's not a layup anymore. And that's why I love that the ACC has put themselves in a position to now be top to bottom really good. Before it was Clemson, it's like, dude, did you see their schedule? Now it's like, well, they got to go through this team, they got to go through this team. And so I would say the big winner overall, I mean, another Stanford, Cal, and SMU thing's a little bit, you know, debatable in terms of fit in, in the all That's everyone strange. conference. Yeah. Right. But I would say the biggest winner conference wise was the ACC, because I think they've done the most to maintain a competitive balance from top to bottom now that the Pac-12 is defunct. Yeah, it'd be – look, I, I couldn't get on board with that sentiment. I really can. Like, I, Miami is without question one of the winners. I thought they get the best available in the portal. A guy in Cam Ward that was considering a leap to the NFL – uh, him committing to Miami is enormous. Now, he's going to have to learn to play within structure a little bit more. Uh, the improvisational stuff that he did at Washington State was great. I don't know if it's sustainable, which is why you saw Washington State have some ups Correct. and downs from a performance standpoint. Now, Shannon Dawson's going to have to coach him out of that while still making sure that he does some of that because he's super special at it. But you look at some of the other guys. You had C.J. Clark 
from NC State along the defensive line. You had Elijah Alston from Marshall uh, along the defensive line. I mean, they went out and they got really difference-making pieces along the D-line. Uh, Marley Cook from Middle Tennessee, the guy that started 27 games there along the D-line. Like They have fortified some of the positions that they didn't have quite the depth at last year. The O-line should be good. The weapons should be good. I think Miami's here to stay, man. Like I thought they were way better last year, and they just didn't know how to win. Now they just got to learn how to win and close out games that they have on their racket. And I think that's the next step for Mario Cristobal. And I think that could happen this year because a lot of the ways too, this is going to sound weird for a lot of people to think about like Miami in 2023 was a lot like Florida state in 2022. Like they gift, they showed progress. They gift wrapped a bunch of games. Like remember Florida state. I mean, they threw Jordan Travis threw an interception in the end zone. I believe it was against NC State when they were already in field goal range to kick the game winner. But it feels like Miami is that team that's coiled and ready to rip. Uh, so I could not agree with you more with with your assessment of the Canes. Like I love what Mario Cristobal's built. I, now it's about finding a way to get it done in those critical moments. They're loaded now, and it's funny you used. Um, uh, that, that example to compare them with, with who he thought they were with Florida State in 22. Because I, I also thought they reminded me of those North Carolina teams that kind of snuck their way into the top 10 when Mac Brown was really telling you, like, guys, we're not a top 10 team. We were ahead of the game with where we thought we could be, but we were still trying to build this thing. And I think that's where Miami was this year. I think they kind yeah. of snuck up the rankings – and then people figured out that the pieces still weren't quite there. But when those pieces are there, I think Miami's biggest problem is fan apathy because they play so far away from sure. where they're located. But I, I'm with like Miami. I, I'm gonna ride that stock. You know, Dabo talks about buy the stock low. I'm gonna ride Miami stock because I'm in, I'm convinced there's there's gonna be a period where it's gonna be like GameStop and it's just gonna go. <laughs> And we're going to be like, hey, Miami's back. Told you so. Yeah, just make sure you get it when everybody's shorting it, right? Like, That's it. Everybody's shorting it. Short and then, uh, fi- <laughs> final team in the ACC that I just want to get your opinion on. And uh, look, Louisville snuck up on everybody last year. But the fact that they used 25 transfers in 23 en route to a 10-4 and record, I know it didn't end well with how they played down the stretch, but – they went portal again and they go out and get a difference maker along the defensive line and Tyler Barron to offset the attention that Ashton Gelati is going to bring in. You bring yeah. in Tyler Shuck, who I think if he can stay healthy is an upgraded quarterback. They brought in 15 new offensive players. They brought in like 10 plus on the defensive side. Like I don't think Louisville, they're not going to sneak up on people like they did last year. But if you think all of a sudden that they are just going to fall and implode in like a dying star, I think they're going to be around. And they're going to pull some upsets this year, and they're going to disrupt in the ACC. I don't know if they can win it, but I think they're going to disrupt in the ACC, similar to how they disrupted this year with the win against Notre Dame and some of the perform- like the win against Duke and some of the other performances that you had scattered throughout the season. Yeah, allow me an apology really quick for to Louisville fans. As I was going through those ACC teams, I was staying on that Eastern Seaboard corridor. <laughs> and I was talking Miami. You know, I was talking about Florida State, Miami, North Carolina State, Virginia Tech. So my apologies, Louisville. You absolutely belong in that conversation. And I'll put it as simply as I can with Louisville. I believe that Brian Brom 
I'm sorry, Jeff Brom is one of the best coaches in college football that isn't at one of the big food group programs. I think Jeff Brom is such a good coach that he's in a perfect spot because he's at his alma mater, but he'll never get the credit with the Kirby Smarts and the Brian Kellys and some of these really, yeah. really good football coaches because he's at his alma mater, which is comfort food to him. But I think he is so good, and he brings in such – uh, experience, but belief in what he's doing. Louisville is one of those schools that because he is there, they will hit you and fight you for four quarters, no matter what. And the, the, the match that was made in that football Louisville heaven for them with Brom coming home, I, McElroy put it this way, and this isn't a slide on Louisville. This isn't a slide on Louisville. And I don't mean it this way. But if Braum was at a Florida State, an Alabama, a Tennessee, a Georgia, if he was at one Ohio, if he was at a food group program, he would be in the same sentence as some of the guys I brought up. And because yeah. of that, because he's not a flight risk because he's home, I think Louisville's set up until he decides he wants to do something else. Yeah, I think you're in a great spot there, man. This was a terrific visit. Uh, I know we didn't get to your Arizona State Sun Devils and their impending move to the Big 12. Uh, we will get there at some point at a later date. We didn't get to the Big 12 but, at all. We were going to get there, and then we just got deep in the weeds. You know, I mean, I, like I had everybody. We had winners all over the place, so we'll just have to include some of the Big 12 teams and some February winners. Like that's that's where we'll be, and we'd be happy to Look, do that again here in a week or two. I'm going to be around the, you know, the internet connection at the Hampton Inn here, Mobile, Alabama is a little dicey. I get it, but save, save a spot for some big 12 conversation. Cause we're, we're going to go low when we talk about big 12. Oh, we're ready. I can promise you I'm fired up about the new look big 12. Like I think it's gonna be awesome. I looked at the schedule the other day. Like I'm in, I'm in 100% Maddie terrific visit as always appreciate all you do for the sport. And we appreciate you joining us today. Anytime homie, you know that. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Continue to ask all of you to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your show. If you want to continue to download the podcast, that'd be terrific as well. It helps us out. It helps the show out when you leave us a rating, when you leave us a review. And we very much appreciate all of you that have done so up to this point. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a terrific day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.